Okay, Julie, one of the memories I have of growing up that just cracks me up is we grew up in San Antonio, Texas. We often went to the San Antonio Zoo. I will never forget. It's like burned in my brain, this giant monkey mountain of um, what kind of monkeys pick for each other. I guess most of them do. Gorillas do. and But it was like chimpanzees or something. And so I'd watch these monkeys pick each other, like, (laughs) and pick. I didn't know they were picking insects off of each other and eating them. But I took my little sister home and I poured powder in her hair so I could pick it out. (laughs) And I have no, no recollection of that. I I probably blocked it. I'm sure there's many, many, many (laughs) mental blocks you have from having a big sister. You know, at my house, it was always dipping the the comb in the toilet to get it wet and combing our hair to look like Glenn Campbell. And one time there was actually something in the toilet that we were doing that with. So I think kids get into messes in some pretty traumatic ways. Oh, that's gross. Talcum powder in the hair is pretty benign, honey. Barrett wanted to look like Glenn Campbell. His hair to (laughs) look like Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell was awesome. Why wouldn't (laughs) you? You guys are awesome. Hey, this is the uh, Imperfect and Normal Families Only podcast. This is Barrett Johnson over there. Is my lovely wife, Jennifer. Jennifer, that's me. And you're going to have a hard time because my sister and I, my sister's with us today. We have a guest. And we sound the same. No, you don't sound the same. Julie, talk with like a Texas accent real strong. I, you know, our voices are very similar, but our way of speaking, I think, is different. Oh, definitely. Here's so much more. She's been in Georgia way too long. She's way more eloquent and wise Uh, and very well spoken next to me. Well, we had this podcast. We do. We're glad you joined us. And this is episode 11, where we're going to take advantage of the fact that our sister Julie is visiting us this week. And uh, we thought we'd share some things that she's, and she's one of the wisest people I know. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we, we're we lacking wisdom here. So this just amplifies things up just a little bit. So Julie, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, we are going to talk about a lot of different neat stuff today, but particularly talking about just really suffering well and the challenges when you go through difficult times. I did a, three weddings in the last month where I perform weddings and mm-hmm. you do vows, you do better for worse and richer for poor and sickness and health. And it sounds nice and romantic and poetic and lovely. Mm-hmm. But I think every couple expects richer and Not better poor. and health. Health and yeah. But along yeah. our journeys of married life and family life, you're going to encounter some sickness. You're going to encounter some poor. You're going to encounter some Worse, hopefully not too many days, but it'll happen. It's just reality of life. And so mm-hmm. navigating that and going through that is something we're talking about because it's going to come all of our way sometime. Right. And for us, it's come earlier than we thought. I mean, these types of things that we have had to face, yeah. myself and Julie's husband came much earlier in life than yeah. I could have ever dreamed possible. Yeah, I mean, I would think expect this is, in your 60s. Oh, yeah. 70s, 80s. Right. I mean, you know, this, these are old people problems. So and y'all have some mm-hmm. great stories about that. So we'll do that in just a minute. But in the meantime, let's discuss something in the news. So it's mid-June right now of 2019, if you're listening to this long ago. But just in the news this week is an article that came out in Teen Vogue magazine which uh, we've never gotten and never read, but we find out what's out there. Teen Vogue apparently had an article that I read written by a a physician from South Africa, a woman, who's basically making an argument for the legalization of all sex uh, services, uh, prostitution. Mm -hmm. It should be decriminalized because Mm -hmm. that kind of work is actually real work in some nations and some worlds. And we should not discourage it or discriminate it because it's, genuine work and trade to do services for things. And this is not in the Wall Street Journal or in, you know, this is in Teen Vogue magazine mm. that many teenagers and teenage girls read. And so it's just troubling us all get out. Oh my gosh. I'm just 
horrified. Like, where does she live? South Africa. Where she feels like the workers there want to do that yeah, what, and sign up for of, it. Yeah, what percentage of sex workers are like, this is the life I We're chose for myself? We're finally getting to the point where we are educating people that these people are sometimes enslaved. Yep. Mm-hmm. These people are being coerced, drugged, lied to, you know. When I think about how many predators groom their victims and they work on their mind. They convince them that what they're doing uh, is wonderful, is wonderful, is good, and that's exactly what the article is doing. It's as if the article yeah, is another, acting like the predator grooming young girls to say, uh, "Well, this is a legitimate way to earn a living." Makes me sick. Well, Teen Vogue has been known for this. A couple of years ago, they had an article, basically a procedure manual for how to experience anal sex for teenage mm-hmm. girls. This is what mm-hmm. anal sex is like and why you should do it and why you might explore it and answering questions. And, and again, I, I, beyond just those stories, it's just a reminder to us as parents that there's a whole agenda out there in our world communicating truth or a worldview or a perspective that probably runs pretty contrary to what most of our listeners want to communicate mm-hmm. to their kids. And so you just got to be on guard and be mindful of just the agenda and what's out there you know, in the delivery systems that our kids have access to. Yeah. So it's trouble and crazy. So um, don't go out and read the article unless you're really curious. It's it's interesting to know this is a perspective out there, but just be aware that that's uh, a message and plenty of messages out there that our kids through technology have access to. And you yeah. know, I, it always aggravated me when our kids would go to the orthodontist where in another state we lived in, not here in Georgia. And that dentist always had like teen vogue teen whatever all the teen magazines in the waiting room because all the teenagers were there getting braces and all that kind of stuff so your kids no matter what are going to come across cred like that and Mm. you need to go ahead and have these discussions with them as you know about them the way that we're educating you today taking advantage of those current events to tee up conversations about things you want to communicate kids so Maybe show the article to your kids and have discussion just to know this is if what the world thinks. If they're older and you feel like it's right, Indeed. yeah. Not teenagers, though. Gosh, no. I wouldn't want a teenager to read that Teen no. Vogue magazine. <laughs> Anywho. Well, let's uh, introduce our very special Imperfect and Normal Family of the Week. So... We don't have to talk about somebody online that we met or someone who told a fun story. We get to talk about Julie and Kevin and y'all's kids. So we have family. Jennifer, you can just do a quick introduction to your sister. I don't okay. know. She is, uh, t- tell us how the difference between you and your sister, because people picture another version of you <laughs> who know you and there's but some But anybody who has two children know they're never alike. This is true. And I think the freaky thing about my sister and I is she acts more like the firstborn, but I'm the firstborn. And I was hmm. a terrible toot. And most time, most of the time, firstborns are pretty compliant and pretty rule following and stuff. And I just think something happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what happened. But I ended up doing everything wrong. Julie watching me and saying, I don't think I'll do that or that or that or that. And she ended up being the good child. <laughs> and I ended up being a terrible child. But we also just had giftedness in different areas yeah. and um yeah. julie really really performed well academically and even um as an athlete and my dad had two girls so i know he wanted to have some athleticism in our family and julie was a soccer player and the cross-country runner 
I literally don't know what I did except have friends and be social. I mean, like, first of all, I, I have to say, though, I'm not an athlete, but that's Jennifer's memory. Compared to Jennifer, you you're incredibly athletic. I mean. <laughs> yes, definitely. Anyway, Julie and her family live in Texas, back yeah, in Houston, Julie, tell us where about your family. all the rest Just, of our uh, family give is. Give us a lowdown. And tell us, tell us, basically, who kind of helped introduce you to your husband? I want to take a little credit for that. <laughs> My husband was working with the youth. Barrett was the youth minister. And I do still remember Barrett saying there are some there's some good guys in the singles group that I didn't want to be a member of because I didn't want to have the label of single. Mm-hmm. And I remember him giving the thumbs up literally towards Kevin or about Kevin. Like I, I pointed him out and said, this is one of the keeper. He's, yeah, a, he's an OK guy. Yeah, really? Yeah. OK. I don't remember that. Excellent. I thought you were running credit for that. Well, I don't remember that specific story. <laughs> I, I thought it were in broad terms. So, yeah. yeah. So you guys are married how long? So we just celebrated 20 years together, and we have four kids ranging in ages from 18 down to 12. Mm-hmm. Two girls, two boys. And they're pretty amazing kids. They're, they're great kids. I love them. They're, they're awesome. amazing. Awesome, awesome. Of course, I'm the braggadocious aunt who <laughs> sees no wrong in any of them, so um, you can never tell me anything bad about them. Uh, just throw a ra- random question at your quick, Julie, just to catch you off guard. Jennifer loves when I throw her questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, have your kids ever done anything in their journey? Because y'all lived around the world. Y'all were in, yes, in the Qatar, the Middle East for six years. A little over six years. Um, kids ever do anything along the journey of international travel or, or just experiencing the world that made the rest of the world think you're strange or weird or whatever else? I, wow. I think just traveling the world with four kids, we learned – how to say for in many different languages because we would hear people, uh, for example, in China saying "sia sia," or um, you know "cuatro cuatro." Anglais, you know, they all thought we were English, or um, and so just being four kids and traveling, we were a show. We were mm-hmm. always a show because yeah. very few families load up all four of their kids and say, "Let's right. international and travel go travel." Together. Yeah. But because they lived in the Middle East and it's pretty hard life there, mm-hmm. um, their company gave them lots of money to travel just to keep their, you know. Sanity at times. Yeah, yeah we lived yeah. in a very small country. But it, it was an amazing, amazing experience with our kids. They became really great travelers. Mm-hmm. They probably see more of the world than most grown adults have, I'm sure. Oh, yes, without yeah. a doubt. They and went we never, to places I've never even heard of. Yeah, we, we, we never lost anybody permanently. We did lose one kid in Athens, uh, Lily, in a museum, but we found her. At the and guards she's found the youngest. her. How yeah. young was she? <laughs> so she was like maybe four at the time. Oh all right, gosh. so all your, all your uh, compliments to Julia being awesome and rule follower, she drops the ball too occasionally, loses yeah, children. Right. In, well, right. it's, I'm not saying Julie's perfect. I'm saying her children are. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember That's Lily, funny. like I traveled over to Doha, Qatar, and then we went to um, Dubai, Dubai, and Lily was little back then, and man, she could have her little rolling suitcase, her passport in her hand, go through customs as if she was a grown adult. She yeah. had done it so many times. <laughs> it, it was, was funny. so funny. Yeah. They just knew what to do. Yeah. Very cool. I want to hear more of your story, Julie, and we'll do that as we kind of get into our main talk of the day. So this is kind of our featured story about just uh, suffering and how something's come along in our families and our lives that make things hard. Uh, So, Jen, this is great. You 
having Julie here, you actually pitched this conversation, this topic to me because you thought this is appropriate given the fact that you've suffered a whole lot and mm-hmm. some folks know your story. If you don't know mm-hmm. Jennifer's story, you can just listen to some of our podcasts. She's just suffers with chronic pain and multiple sclerosis and other things. And uh, Julie and her family have had some times of suffering as well. And you thought it'd be worth having a conversation about how we suffer and how we mm-hmm. cling to each other and cling to God and, and even how we suffer in front of our kids in ways that doesn't make them question God and those kinds of things. So, Jen, I'm going to tee over to you and kind of just shut up a little bit. Mm-hmm. That'll be a miracle. <laughs> um, yeah, Julie and I were just sitting around talking with my oldest daughter, and I legit got a piece of paper out and started taking notes because I just think this natural conversation we were having is so important for the thousands of you who listen to here um, on adversity. And I also think it's important because we are struggling alongside some other families whose kids are walking away from their faith and doubting their faith um, in the college age area time in their lives. And some of these kids are I'm very close to and it's been utterly devastating to me. And so this is a podcast that I would want one of those kids to listen to and just hear my sister's testimony, hear my testimony, because even though I'm close friends with somebody's college age kid, I might not sit down with them and tell them all my God stories. So Mm -hmm. I want to tell some of my God stories and I want definitely my sister to and this is to bring honor and glory to God, but to be shared with other people that could listen to this podcast most likely it's not going to be you but i'm sure it's going to minister to you but i want you to share it with people who are struggling in their faith because i just don't think we tell enough god stories we don't even get the opportunity to um and so i think this is a very important podcast that we're recording even for our own families for my grandchildren to listen to, I hope, years from now. Um, it's one of the reasons why I like podcasting is because I'm leaving a legacy verbally for my grandchildren. We've always found those cassette tapes that grandma recorded back 30 years ago, and we said, this is fun to listen to later on. This Well, and I hope the out. technology is super easy to hold on to sure. and keep and preserve, mm-hmm. unlike CD is in all, right, all the VHS apart. tapes. I hope this gets passed down. Well, so. do this for us, Julie. If I can ask you, can, just, can you tell us a story? Uh, what have yeah. y'all walked through in the last three or four years That's years? that's been yeah. hard? So we lived overseas and a little over six and a half years, and it was an amazing time. It sounds like a hard job to live in the Middle East, but we actually loved it. I loved it. I had some of the best friends, mom friends that I've ever had. We were highly involved in our small evangelical Christian church. My husband and I led the middle school ministry, and uh, we were very involved with a homeschool co-op that had a lot of people of different faiths from all over the world. So we were very involved, had a wonderful life there, mm-hmm. came home for the Christmas holidays, December 2015. My husband had a few medical issues, went to the doctor, long story short, five hours before we were to fly out back to the Middle East, my husband got a call, one of those uh, calls that changes your life in your world. And he had some negative test results come back in and Two weeks later, we found out he had stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. And at what we, age? He was 40, 41. 41 years old. And we did not know it when we got on the plane in December to come home for the holidays that we were really moving back and that our 
whole lives that we had in Doha, it was over. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine I've said you to just people have before, one suitcase, right? Yeah, we each. each had one suitcase. And imagine going home from a church service and someone meeting you in the road and saying, get out of the car. We're going to put you in a new car. You're going to go to a new city, new house, new activities for your kids. Your old life is over mm-hmm. on all your friends. You can keep up with them, but you're not going to see them. It's over. And then pile on that. Oh, and you're going to be battling cancer, too. And have one suitcase full of belongings. Right. I mean, like, literally, and we y'all didn't have anything. So all of our ho- books were in mm-hmm. the Middle East. We have two dogs. We had lined up dog care. But we were running into, you know, now we've been in the U.S. two months. Who's going to look after our dogs? Um, but what I want to testify to is God went before us and behind us and made provision even before we knew we needed it. Right. And what has been faithful, not only in providing physically, but mentally, because I did a lot of mental and spiritual wrestling. Mm -hmm. And God answered me every time my Mm -hmm. husband and I joke because he's so even keel. He's an engineer for every one bad day that Kevin has had. I've had about 25. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And most of it has been God. Why? I mm-hmm. I thought I knew what it meant to follow you, but I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. And God has answered me every single time I've cried out to him. And mm-hmm. I, I want to encourage people that you don't have to have the answer or clean yourself up before you come to Christ. You can mentally vomit in front of him, so to speak, and let him sift it out and sort it out and put you straight. Mm-hmm. He's not put off with us shaking our fist at him and being angry. He's not put off by us. He knows that we feel this way. He knows we're flesh and blood. I was saying to Julie today, I'm so grateful we serve a God who knows flesh and blood and knows Mm. what it feels like to go through all these emotions and all of these things, whereas Allah didn't do that. Buddha didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Who are you going to cling to if you don't believe in Jesus and you're just out there as an atheist or a agnostic or just um, alone by yourself because you've walked away from the God that loves you and wants to take care of you. Can can I ask how the the, the why question, that's that's probably a question you grapple with the early days an awful lot Mm -hmm. and probably even still today at at times, I'm sure. But we encounter a whole lot of Bible Belt Christians mm-hmm. here in the South that we've known who who have had a bad thing happen to them. Not not their own fault. It's an illness or it's a job loss or it's some kind of circumstance that's just hard. And we've heard a lot of people kind of respond with the, how could this be? I've been a good Christian. I've done all the right things. Right. I've prayed. I've been faithful. I've. It's almost like their, their perspective is bad things don't happen to yeah. Good people. Yeah. That's not, that's not a part of the deal. The deal is I do it right and God honors it and, and blesses me. Mm-hmm. Please talk about that, Julie, and the yeah. way that you explain the people who have had their bubble. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of thinking had crept into my mind, even though I would never say that out loud because I knew and I know that's theologically wrong. But when this happened, I remember crying out to God and saying, what did we do yes. that was so bad you had to do this. And the scripture that came to my mind is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Lord was telling me, this is not punishment for your sin because Christ took the punishment for your sin. So my next thought was, okay, Lord, but why are you destroying us? You're destroying us. And the scripture that came to mind was the enemy comes to kill, 
steal and destroy but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full Mm -hmm. and so at every step that I was saying this doesn't make sense God was answering me through scripture either scripture I'd read and he was bringing to my memory Um, but I think the conclusion I think what has given me rest is this life is not all that there is Mm -hmm. and the point of this life is not that I live a comfortable middle class upper middle class existence. The point of this life is that I be sanctified, that Mm -hmm. I be more and more like Christ Mm -hmm. and that I draw others to him, that I'm a witness because we're going on to a different, a better place. Mm -hmm. This isn't all that there is. And so God uses and is using suffering in my life and in Kevin's to sanctify us, draw us closer to him. And it's, it's put us up on a platform to share the gospel with others. Unlike Jennifer and Barrett, Kevin and I are more introverted. We're quiet. We're behind the scenes kind of people. And Kevin and I have both said, it's like cancer has put us on this stage Mm -hmm. and it's not a stage we want to be on. We don't like to be in the center of attention and, and we certainly don't want to be standing on cancer, but that's what God has used to Mm -hmm. kind of put us front and center to share the goodness of God with others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every time I do that, God, I'm doing all this stuff for you and I've surrendered my life and I'm not complaining because I love my life. But what about those people who have that? And what about those people that, yeah. you know, and God always, always says to me, Jennifer, this is their heaven. Yeah. Like this you need to, gonna get you need to pray for them and feel yeah. sorry for them and seek them out and share me with them because this is their heaven. Do you mm-hmm. see that lake house? This is that's all they're getting as heaven. So they're thinking this is heaven on earth and they've got to prepare their own heaven here because they have no sense of life beyond this world, yeah. which blows my mind every time he reminds me of that yeah. because my, I don't think that way, but I need to be thinking that way as a person who declares the goodness of Christ and salvation through Christ. But uh, I, I just, he reminds me every time they are making their own heaven, they are acquiring things and they have more than you do and they've got this and that, but this is their heaven and, and you, you know. Well, I love, I was telling my sister today, I love the Psalms and if you're suffering read the Psalms because the psalmist so many times writes down what I'm feeling. I have had very bitter moments where I have said to God, why don't you give cancer to that man? Why to my husband? That man doesn't give you the time of day. And I read Psalm 73. The psalmist was bitter in that Psalm begin in the beginning of the Psalm. And he talks about, you know, everybody else who doesn't love you is successful and healthy and but then he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord and he sees the end of their days and he sees where that is mm. going. And I just, I love the Psalms because we're not the first people to say, I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. And it's not fair. And, and what, how is this happening? It's great. Julia says something the other day that was so insightful and almost funny to me, but it's true where you've kind of categorized people now into two different groups. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was. Yeah. About. I, there's people who are still living in the delusional bubble that they're in control because everything's going the way they want it to go. Yes. And then there's the people who have had that bubble burst for them. Yeah. And when the bubble burst for me, it was as if I went, what it felt like was I'm hurtling into the abyss, screaming my ever loving head off. But when I stopped screaming, I realized I'm not descending into the abyss. I'm in the palm of my father's hand and he has me. Yeah. 
And the delusion is I'm in control. The reality is he's in control. Mm-hmm. So it's not bad news, but I think it does sometimes take suffering to burst that bubble and realize I am one step away from um, weakness, death, um, despair, mm-hmm. but the Lord has me and he's yeah. going to take care of me. This is Psalm 73, and it says, But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only of evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. Um, And on and on. And it says, does the most high even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Um. I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. And then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and arrogant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. But who am I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the word of God. That is what we need to be in every day, building us up and reminding us of what the answers are to our what ifs because I'm just what ifing every single day, every single day. he, He has the answers and I could talk for several hours, just all the things that I've thrown out there at God and say, saying, will you help me understand? I don't understand. And I love Psalm 34, verse four, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I think that Mm -hmm. could be sort of my, um, the theme of what's been going on for the last three and a half years of crying out to God. And he answers with such patience. There's, I don't believe God brings things on our lives Mm-mm. in order to draw us to himself. I think that's cruel. But the reality is things do happen in our life yeah. that are bad, and God can use that for our yeah, good. Yeah, he brings beauty out of ashes. And I, I've seen so many glory. people, like that verse even says, that, that the result is it, it makes you cry out for the Lord, makes you right. seek the Lord. When things are going well, I mean, when we look at our lives, when things are falling into line like we want them to, we really are not very desperate and needy for God. And the real tendency is to get lazy in relation yeah. to God. But when we get desperate... It does require us or force us, hopefully, to look to God and cry out to Him, yeah. and He draws near to us. Most, most people would say the times I've grown and stretched and become more of what God wants me to be, seeing more of who God wants to be in my life, have been through adversity. Now, yeah. again, we don't wish that on anybody, no. but the reality is it's going to come. And, but and, I think that we should really all be um, wrangling with something going on because we are doing ministry and ministry is hard. Let's yeah. say you're a lay person ministering in the prisons. I mean, that's going to be tough. And every week you're going to meet a new prisoner with a different story that's we're going to take home with us and we're going to be fetting it over, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, 
that is what I have found, especially doing info for families. I mean, we are like jumped in a river and we're just being taken down a river. So and your we point don't know. is, I'm tracking you. So if your life is easy, if someone's listening to this and life is easy and there's no difficulties, no challenges, you're probably doing life wrong. Well, I mean, you need to make sure that you are surrendered to God and doing ministry in his name and for him that leaves you ultimately totally dependent on him. Yes, but can you think of some examples? Because you've shared some with me, Julie, about times where you have asked him a very specific question and he yeah. has answered. And you know that's God. That's not Jiminy yeah. Cricket sitting on your shoulder um, answering these questions. It's 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 a holy God. Yeah. I, I think about one night um, being up in the middle of the night and just overcome with anxiety and fear and crying out to God and saying, God, do you even hear me do you hear me and will you just have mercy on us and i really felt like god put to on my heart psalms just the word psalms so i got up in the middle of the night and got my one-year bible out and i read some some things and then i got to psalms and the first two lines were i love the lord for he heard my voice mm. he heard mm-hmm. my cry for mercy mm-hmm. he turned his ear to me I will call on him as long Mm -hmm. as I live. Mm -hmm. And I know without a doubt, God was saying, yes, I Mm -hmm. hear you. I attend my ear to you and I have mercy. So many times God answers me with the very words that I'm using Mm -hmm. in prayer. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I said to the Lord when we first found out was, Lord, you're crushing us. It's as if you're crushing us beneath the heel of your boot. And I read Psalm 34. He is close to those who are crushed in spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, One day I woke up and I just cried out to God and said, Lord, I just feel like everything is a battle. My mom battles um, Parkinson's. My sister battles MS. Kevin's battling cancer. Um, You know, you battle things in your kids, Mm -hmm. (laughs) attitudes and different things. And I woke up and was reading about, I believe it was King Hezekiah, and they're going to take some land and... The scripture said they cried out to God in the midst of the battle and he fought the battle for them because they trusted in him. And I'm paraphrasing there. But again, that was God. I'd just been praying as I lay in bed. I get up, I read the scripture and it's as if the Lord was saying, you're right, it's a battle, but I'll Mm -hmm. fight the battle. Mm -hmm. And I love how it said they cried out in the midst of the battle because sometimes I don't even know I'm in a battle Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle. I don't see it coming. And I think, how did I get here? Um, But I think also, as we were talking about suffering draws you close, I think we should always be wrestling with suffering, even if it's not happening to us, because I think it's a job of us as Christians to have the answers. We're supposed to be ready to give Mm -hmm. an answer for the hope that we have. And Mm -hmm. we have to think through, how do I explain suffering in the context of God's word? Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's not happening to me, I need to connect the dots of my own faith Not that we have to know everything, Mm -hmm. but we need to be prepared with an answer because I think a lot of people in the world, young people, maybe even old people too, pat themselves on the back that they're asking deep questions, but they're not sticking around necessarily for the answers or submitting to the answers. God has an answer, Mm -hmm. but when we get that answer, there's a point at which we have to submit. Do I believe him and I'm going to follow him? even when maybe I don't like the answer, sure. yeah. mm-hmm. but he does have an answer. Mm-hmm. Well, there's suffering all around us and, and being able to have an answer is, is true. It's not the answer specific, 
person why you're dealing with that yeah. thing. But but for here's the way God moves and works and the rain falls on the just and the unjust and we've got to depend upon him and your story is a great testimony to that. But one thing, Julie, you've experienced and Jen, you've experienced both the good and the bad is how to be minister in the midst of suffering to other people. Yeah. Because even if we're not, so folks listening to this, yeah, things are pretty good right now, but I guarantee everyone listening to this knows someone in their family, a good friend who's going through a hard time. Mm-hmm. We need to be walking through that. If we're in a good place, we need to be extending grace and encouragement and support and kind of, kind of carrying the loads of those who are going through difficult seasons. Like Julia was saying, well, so, to so, be able to speak of the... Um, right, to, to yeah. Both theology, though, but also in kind of in care and, and nurturing in the body. So mm-hmm. kind of one question for both you ladies is, you know, during times when you've struggled, Jen, post-surgeries and things like that, um, and, and Julia, the last couple of years for y'all, what are things that people have done for y'all that have kind of missed? And then what are things that have really, you've seen God move through the body as people have stepped in to your story in big and small ways. Yeah, I think something that really touched me and I was surprised that it touched me are the people mostly from Doha that we knew writing us cards and saying, I am shocked. I'm grieved. I just can't believe this. It was like they were down in the ditch with us. Yeah, saying, definitely. I'm gobsmacked too. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe this has happened. Mm-hmm. And sent us something kind of goofy like a Chick-fil-A card mm-hmm. and just said, go go have a treat on us. Mm-hmm. Um, were there for us, grieved with us, and then gave us things like somebody anonymously put a basket full of games and popcorn on our front debt on our front porch because they knew we had nothing. Y'all our didn't whole have any lives toys. were in the have, Middle East. Yeah. We didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Just thoughtful things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can tell you the negative thing is I have had a couple of friendships that have lasted over 20 years that now I don't even have anymore. And one of them I lost from going through depression and asking that person to be there for me. And I'll never forget her calling me um, when I was struggling with depression and telling me, you know, I can't talk to you for about a week and a half or whatever and kind of just... Um, I'm too busy for you right now. Putting me off at a time where I have walked through every chapter of life with this person, but she didn't have time for me. Yeah. And it hurts. I mean, you know, it really, really hurts. We've run into that a lot too of, hey, can you go and care for this person? You know what? I've, I've got to take my son to ball practice. Mm-hmm. It's like, maybe you no, get someone. Get we've someone asked else, them like a, to help us care for others and they're like, yeah. no, I've got a baseball game. I mean, like we have maybe got send to. Send your kids to the baseball game with someone else. Get him a carpool ride and go and do be the hands and feet of Jesus a little bit too. Well, and then the other friend just said, you're too much drama for me. And I'm like, Lord, what's drama? Well, the drama is ministering to 8,000 people at at the church church. we served at. I mean, you know what I mean? I can't help but be drama because (laughs) there is constantly loss and hurt and cancer But but Jen, the reality is, sadly, so many people, I think, want to insulate themselves from that. And and again, maybe a lesson to anybody listening to this is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have the privilege or the luxury of saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with ugly because I just don't want to deal with it. Well, you don't have the luxury of saying, I'm not going to bear your burdens with you. I mean, that's not biblical. We're called to bear each other's burdens. And one of these relationships... Um, this person literally said, 
God has told me not to have any relationship with you whatsoever. So we literally don't speak to each other anymore. Mm. That is not of God. Yeah, Show me in the word of God where it says, you know, when your friend doesn't um, care that you're going through the deepest, deepest depression. And I want you to know this depression hit. Yeah. And I'm going to be very honest here. I had to go to a place to get help Mm. for depression where I went away to another city in another state. And in the airport on my way to Seattle, Washington, I found out Julie's husband had cancer. Mm. And so I'm not like asking my friends to answer the phone for me for something that happened like for six months. I'm saying I'm going away for a couple of weeks. And when I call, would you mind answering? Because it's hard to get a hold of people on phones nowadays. And I said, I am, I'm really dying. I'm really suffering. And, And the worst of the worst was standing in the Seattle Tacoma airport and getting the call about Kevin, my yeah. brother-in-law. I mean, I just thought, how much lower can I go, yeah. you know? And so we mm-hmm. have got to bear each other's burdens, even though you don't want to. Or you don't have you time. Don't, or maybe you, you don't need feel to equipped. make time. None of us are equipped to walk through difficult times, but we've got to say, God, help us, and God will meet and us. And we cannot leave one another as believers. It's yeah. not godly. We yeah. don't. Well, I think one of the, if I can say, the good thing that has come out of our situation with Kevin's cancer is that it's made us publicly vulnerable and we've had people call us that I don't think would have called us if we were healthy Mm. and everything was great. And God has given us entree into people's lives because we're vulnerable. They can be vulnerable. I've had people call me and say, I don't feel like I can talk to anyone else about this, but I knew you would understand um, and that would not have yeah. been the case had we not had cancer. So I think one of the upsides of suffering is it allows you to minister to other people who are suffering. But you require it requires you to kind of hurt out loud a little bit and be open yeah. and vulnerable, which yeah. I think when we get go through a difficult time because of embarrassment or shame or whatever else, some right. folks kind of go, they kind of go dark. They kind yeah. of, we've seen that in marriages and in the local church, serving a big old honking church. You'll have a couple that in church that suddenly, hey, we haven't seen them. And where, where are they? Right. In months. Well, you find out that they're separated and they're moving towards divorce. And they just didn't want anyone to know. So they yeah. went dark on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a tendency is to, to just avoid publicly suffering. Right. Mm-hmm. When we need to do it openly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when God calls you through that and, and maybe even takes you out to the other side, um, you need to give a testimony because I think it 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 lets people know they're not alone. Yeah. They're not the only one. Well, we're committed, of course, as family to pray for Julie and Kevin. And, you know, where you guys are always in our prayers. We, we, we've seen Kevin do a horrible diagnosis, respond really well to some yeah. things. And so yeah, he's, there's he's some good really news. Well. We have seen amazing miracles. Um, he really shouldn't praying, be here right now, but by the grace of, of God, yeah. he still is. And yeah. he's very healthy. And well, and I, I wish people could see, I mean, my husband has a beautiful singing voice. He loves to worship God. And like I said, for every bad day he has, I have about 25. He has had um, just such a gratitude towards God and and starts every morning listening to music like Brooklyn Tabernacle as he's in the shower mm-hmm. and praising God mm-hmm. and worshiping, um, worshiping in the choir. And God is holding him together in yeah. so many ways and has just taken care of us. God has a way of doing that, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. Tell you what, this has been a great conversation, Julie. Thanks for being open and sharing it with us. Uh, we always have a recommended resource. So here's our recommended resource of the day. 
Julie, in the last couple of years of walking through a very difficult season, have you encountered any resource book tool that you think this is great and has been encouraging and God's met us in this resource that you love to share with other people? Yeah, I remember our parents sharing with us, um, my parents sharing with us a book called When Life Falls Apart by David Jeremiah. I hope I'm getting that title right. And our lives were falling apart and it, it met us where we were along with, of course, scripture. And I always tell people, because I, I know it's so hard, you think, I know I need to be reading the Bible, but where do I begin? And I always recommend to people getting the New Living Translation of a one-year Bible so that you get the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs, but immediately take a Sharpie and go, and scratch out one year and put two to three. Okay, <laughs> don't put pressure on yourself that you have to read it, you, it in one year because you then you'll just be, give uh, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a sticky note so that you have a bookmark. That's great. Um, you just but, walk through it. Yeah, and then another book that I actually had sent to Jennifer. Mm-hmm. She's holding it in her hand. I was listening I to uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss, Revive Our Hearts, and she had two women on there who have dealt with chronic illness via Lyme disease, and they wrote an amazing devotion And I love that these two women are not, many of the books we read are authors who said, oh, I had a cancer scare two years ago. Now I'm clear. Now I'm writing this book about suffering. These are two women that are in the midst of it. That's what I was going to say. It's the end coming anytime in their lifetime. And that has meant the world to me because you can't find many books written by people who have something that's chronic, right? chronic Really, when you are told yeah. you have multiple sclerosis, that is a degenerative disease. I mean, and you don't know what's coming next. That's what my life is full of sure. is question marks, just question mark after question so mark. And it's book. called yeah. Hope When It Hurts by Kristen Weatherill and Sarah Walton. Um, it is just a super, super. I have truly purchased at least We've given 10 away a lot of those. and mailed them to people. Um, it is hope for people who ha- are in chronic situations. Mm, yeah, it's so really good. good. Those are all great resources. And so if, if you're going through a hard time now, there's great tools there. Be encouraged. And if you're not, look for someone you can minister to and realize, get you, kind of get your theology in order for when something kind of blows up in your life because it's, it's inevitable. This is a difficult, fallen world we live in and bad things happen to good people. And so... Uh, we prepare for that reality and, and be prepared to run to God when it does happen. So many times when we hear stories of suffering and maybe we're not suffering in the moment, if you're like me, you're anxious and you're a worrier, you fear bad news, you fear, yeah. where's the suffering? How am I going to suffer, Lord? Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. And I used to be like that. This is from Psalm 112. It says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. And I really meditated on that for a long time because every few months we have to go into our cancer hospital and it feels like a 50, 50, are we going to get good news? Are we going to have bad news? And I really cried out to God and said, I don't understand. How does that work? How do you not fear bad news? Mm -hmm. And the answer of course is in the next line, which, you know, it took me a month or two to get to the next line. And it says, um, They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Mm. And I want to testify to people, we've gotten the bad news that I think a lot of people fear. Mm -hmm. They fear cancer. And Mm -hmm. I want you to know, we're still standing. Mm -hmm. The Lord has not forsaken us or left us. Mm -hmm. I feel his presence so, so tangibly in my life. Kevin feels it. We do not have to live in fear. The worst can happen. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and God is still there. Yeah. Right. And we are going on to a better place. Yeah. This is not all sure. there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Praise, Praise God. God. Praise God. <laughs> Indeed. It's a good word. I can't wait for my glorified body. <laughs> it's going to be awesome, honey. You're not going to hurt anymore. Just please, um, every time we minister about or talk about anything, don't just think of yourself, but please pass our podcast along to someone else that it can encourage and pass it on to someone who wonders, is there really a God? Because I just think that Julie has spoken such wisdom and um, shared such intimate stories that God is there and that he does meet you and he does answer your questions. Uh, that's all I got for today, I think. Um, we can promote and advertise a few things. You know, we're I was doing the math in this gym where we have our great marriage getaway we keep on talking about, but that thing is only, what is it, June right now? July, August, August four months away mm-hmm. from our weekend retreat at Ridgecrest. And uh, we've room for about 275 couples, and we're already at about 175 registered, 170, something like that. So we've got room for about a hundred more couples to that thing, but it's going to fill up. And if you're interested in joining us in the second week in October for an amazing getaway for your marriage up in the beautiful uh, mountains outside of Asheville, North Carolina, we encourage you to join us. Go to uh, greatmarriagegetaway.com for details. And again, we'd love for you to join us. It's going to be a great time. With that in mind, farewell. This is Barrett. And Jennifer. Hey, and Julie. Say hi. Yeah, hi. All right. <laughs> well, you can say goodbye now. Bye. Bye. All righty. We'll see y'all later in the next time you listen to Info for Families podcast.